This is Strange Assembly, episode 268, Board and Card Games at Gen Con 2019. I'm Chris Stevenson. I'm here today with Jay Earl. Hello. And we are doing the second half of our Gen Con 2019 look back. If you missed it, episode 267 was about role-playing games. Here we're going to be talking about everything else, board games and card games. It doesn't really matter if there's a literal board. It's all right. Or if you're just bored listening to us talk about them. <laughs> yes, hopefully it's not boring games. I, those, I mean, those definitely exist, but you yes. know, we don't usually talk about them a lot because it's boring. So I wanted to lead off with what struck me as maybe the most significant announcement of Gen Con 2019 in a broader sense, setting aside personal interest, which is that Fantasy Flight's license expansion has now moved out to consume Marvel as well? All your nerd properties are belong to them. <laughs> well, and, and Marvel is spread out, right? Upper Deck still has Legendary. Mm-hmm. There's a spread of Marvel things. They announced two Marvel games. One is a living card game, and one is a miniatures game. So the living card game is Marvel Champions, and I think there's a miniatures game. Like, you know what, let me just get the miniatures game of the way. I'm interested in the LCG. I like Fantasy Flight's long-standing miniatures games. Like, I really like the pre-painted X-Wing and Armada ships. They're a little bit more expensive than they used to be because, you know, you can't just lock the price of an X-Wing ship in, in the one place and then make the game for 10 years and never have prices change. But painting is not my thing. So I have drastically less interest in a game when the figures aren't painted anymore. This is why I don't really do Games Workshop stuff. The price point also matters. So I know you may have separate thoughts on this, Jay, because I know you do Legion, which also has the the unpainted mini- miniatures. But the Marvel miniatures game they're unpainted, and it looked like they were like 20 bucks essentially, for one figure, and that's not my playground, so... Yeah, I, I don't know, based on the price point, if I'm going to get into it, but yeah, I not only do not bulk at the unpainted part, but I, at some level, I feel like I spend more time painting Legion miniatures than I do actually bringing them to the table, so... There are people who love the painting aspect of miniatures games. There's, like, if you go to Gen Con, there, like, that's a whole thing. There's, like, a, you know, miniatures hobby stuff that's about painting. There's awards and stuff. They have either, like, something that you've slaved away on for months and months or the, like, speed painting that's things that they do, but just not my thing. But card games, now that's a thing that I do. Now, the, the Marvel Champions LCG is interesting. The first thing is that, like, I'm not sure in what sense it's an LCG. So that is one thing to keep in mind. It is an LCG and that like you know you're going to get expansions and you can customize things, right? But it's, n- it's a fully cooperative game. So it's not like you have the same kind of pressure or like you have to keep up with the purchases like you do with a competitive LCG or else, you know, your deck's going to fall behind. They also, finally, are going to have an LCG core set where you only have to buy one copy of it. Ooh, fancy. Yes, you, you only have to buy one. Now it's it's 60 instead of 40, which has been the traditional price point for a single core set. 
but it also, because I checked, it, it also has a commensurately larger number of cards in it. So it's not like they're charging $60 for the same number of cards you would otherwise have gotten in a $40 base set. But my guess would be that with this game, they will be trying to push it out into a mass market place that you haven't really seen that much of with other LCGs. And my guess is that that is a big reason why you have a single core set game. So like you actually truly do have the whole game when you buy one core set. And, but it, it's fully cooperative. So they've, they've announced, so the expansions can add more heroes. They can add more villains because the, right, the villain is sort of, there, there, it is everybody against one and there's a villain deck but it's self-running. It's, you know, sort of like you flip up the top card and it does whatever it says to do. The base game comes with five heroes, a Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, and Black Panther. And then, right, you'll get more added later. And those are, you as a player are taking on the role of one of those heroes. You may have other heroes present in your deck as ally cards, but that's obviously you know very different from you have your own deck and when you're playing you have your hero your character i guess can either be in hero mode or in alter ego mode so if you're you know she-hulk rampaging behemoth you're doing different sorts of actions than if you're jennifer walter's attorney and you know every turn can flip back and forth between those which affects what the villain can do to you and what you can do to the villain Really, your cards in hand are your resource, so it's very much designed to be a I churn like crazy through my deck game. You discard cards out of hand to pay the cost of playing whatever the the card is that you want to play. The deck construction is I think you have a you have like a core set of cards that is locked in with your hero, and then you can they had they had like descript I mean right we weren't deck building obviously uh, when playing at at Gen Con, right, you could, like, so, you know, you might have a uh, an ingenuity the set of 15 cards or an aggression set of cards, you know, a leadership set of cards, and you can mix and match how you put those together into your deck. I I mean, it's, it's one core set. I actually, I don't know if it's the sort of thing where, like, you could, theor- I don't, it would be weird to have more than one of a hero. I don't know if you'd, like, want more than one copy of, like, the aggression set, to go with something? I don't know. Probably not. It doesn't seem that there's any way that requires you to ever add anything. It's just going to be you're going to want to add more options, like we all do when we have games that we like, right? Yes. You have a villain, they're enacting some sort of scheme, they can send out minions or other sub-schemes, and you, you have to, like, try to not get knocked out, but you also have to uh, thwart their scheme if they get enough, you know, scheme tokens or whatever it is on it than you because i mean it's still a fantasy flight game it's got tokens right all over the place i mean not as much as like l5r something but it definitely has tokens but i i think that has a lot of of promise right i mean demo that's not the same thing as playing something 700 times as an lcg maybe is is designed to do but i think that the lcg will be very successful i think it will get pushed out in the mass market channels and and i just just bringing the Fantasy Flight slash Asmodee stuff into, you know, Marvel is going to produce more of a of a juggernaut. 
<laughs> it's a pun now. Is it really a pun if you're just name dropping a character in the game? Good lord. I, I mean, I make one bad joke. Like, are you just mad that I'm, like, stepping on your toes? Like, that's Basically, your role in yeah, the show? Basically, yeah. That's... What's why am I here if you're gonna handle the bad puns? What what is my <laughs> point for being here? You know the reason I say Fantasy Flight and Asmage generally is that was actually not the only Marvel thing. There is a Marvel version of Splendor coming out. Now I rather like Splendor and I like Marvel, so this will and, and and you know there are people in my uh, family who like Marvel, so that would be the sort of thing that's checked out. The core mechanics are still the same, but it actually requires you to go up and get stuff out of level three. And there's a uh, special, I, I don't know, I, right? there's there's whatever the version of noble tiles are in this, but then there's a special one that's the infinity gauntlet. So you actually have to get a full set of all the different colors in order to win, I believe. Okay, that's, that's highly amusing. I got a little extra touch in there. So and there's that, and I say Juggernaut, right, with with Fantasy Flight, because that is that is still really by default the booth to go to, especially with, I guess, how they arrange things has kind of, uh, how Asmodee arranges things has kind of narrowed the number of possibilities for, like, the booth that you have to get to. So in this case, for example, I, I really, like, I ended up in the front, pretty much in the front, so I was not us, like, Schmo press types were not like in early access. Like they didn't do the whole like Vig thing. Or I mean they did the Vig thing, but I don't think it didn't involve early access anymore. But I was still there pretty early, so I'm I'm literally like waiting outside the door way earlier than I need to be because I'm still writing something for the website. <laughs> I I don't like what what is this? It's so I was relatively early and I'm like, you know what? I'm right outside where the fantasy flight booth is. I'm not even sure what my plan is to get. <laughs> from the Fantasy Flight booth. But I'm just going to get in this line anyway, because, like, I know it's a good line to be in. I The only thing I personally bought was was the just-announced Arkham Horror Final Hour, because that's the kind of person I am, apparently. Like, oh, it's a brand shiny new thing that you announced last night that's from a world that I like. Ooh, I'll buy it. I think my spouse is very much in the, like, so how many of the exact same game is that? Which makes me then want to be like, no, 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 no. See, Arkham Horror is like this, and then Eldritch Horror is like that, and then Mansions of Madness is like the other. And then she's like, that's all the same thing. I'm like, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> so Arkham Horror, it's like the same thing, except it's faster. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, right, they had the Superstar Destroyer, but like, I'm not in a position to be buying two, uh, you know, no. the $200 Superstar Destroyer. Alas? Yeah, no, I, I so want one of those, Just, but the problem is, yeah, it's $200, and I don't play X-Wing, so it would just be sitting on a shelf somewhere, so I can't, in any conscionable way, actually justify getting it, but I so want it, because it looks cool. I know, I know, when I'm also glad that they, I, I mean, my, the, the totality of this possibility had already been put to rest earlier, because before Gen Con, they had announced Rebellion in the Rim, a campaign expansion for Armada, but Armada does not see releases in the way that X-Wing does, right? Like, there's a lot more X-Wing ships that come out. And I had kind of wondered if the Super Star Destroyer was going to be the swan song for Armada. It was this obvious, cool, but, like, can you, you know, make it feasibly thing 
that had been out there for Armada, like right from the beginning. You're, you know, you're like, oh, well, we've got Imperial Star Destroyers. What's the big, huge thing in this? But not only had they announced Rebellion in the Rim, but then they also had a couple of other new Armada ships on display this weekend. So our Armada will indeed be continuing. I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, oh, but the thing I was talking about with the like the booths to go to, so Fantasy Flight still does their own separate sales. Not that you're allowed in their booth anymore. The line, like, it's just around the booth, and instead of, like, going into a store area and taking something off of a shelf, they, like, had menus, and you'd wait in the line and they'd give you a menu so that when you got up, you'd just be like, I want this, that, and the other. They'd ring you up, you'd go to the next station, and then somebody would come out from the inside of the booth with your bag already loaded with your games. I guess it's just a continual process of figuring out how to manage people trying to swarm your booth. Yeah, I, I appreciate that they iterate every year on making their booth better. I still remember, like, three or four years ago, they they had the they were handing out the game that you could play in the line while waiting. Yeah, and you could see the AEG had some set of, like, riddles up on mm-hmm. the back of their booth, so... The AEG booth is actually, that part of the AEG booth is actually right in front of, as from the point of view of the doors, like right in front of the Fantasy Flight booth. So like when you're standing in the Fantasy Flight line, you could read the AEG riddles. They had that, but then I think, I think all of the Asmodee brands, other than Fantasy Flight, were not selling anything at their booths. They had a separate booth that was just the Asmodee store. And this isn't the first year that they've had that, but I think that last year there were a lot of the the the, the, the bigger sub brands that still sold things out of their own stand. So like, hey, I was really interested in in picking up Abomination, and I did. Uh, and Abomination will be one of the games that we like are not going to talk about in this episode because it'll get some fuller coverage in uh, in an episode. But right, there was no oh, I'm going to rush to the Plaid Hat Games booth to get that because that's not where it is. It's all just like go to the, you know, you just go to like the Asmodee store booth. And they had this flyer that I think they had available at all the little sub-brand booths where there was this little cartoony image of the exhibit hall with like different, they, like there's a literal plaid hat for the plaid hat games. They were actually handing out plaid hats because it was their 10th anniversary. And, like, you can see little Star Wars characters where the Fantasy Flight booth is. And so you could see they had this little map that was where all the different Asmodee brand booths are and then, like, where the store is if when you want to go buy whatever it is that you were playing at one of the other booths. That was cute. I mean, any anything that helps it, that makes it easier to remember where things are and navigate, not unwelcome. Even for someone like me whose intent is to go through every single aisle and column of that exhibit hall and at least glance at every single booth. Still, still nice. Why don't I kick it over to you to, you know, say something about your games instead of mine. Okay. So I think the first thing I will cover when it's my turn is the couple of games that I demoed that probably won't in the near future go give a deeper play to. So the first one was just a random walk by their booth hey come demo this and i was like sure so simon they were demoing a game called foodies which is a it's a board game themed around you're building a food court and you need to put in various restaurants and so each player has in front of them a board with nine spaces on it and there's a 
communal board that has different restaurants that you can put into your spaces. And on each turn, somebody rolls a 10-sided die, and so that'll come up with one of the numbers. And based on what number it is, the base board will have, like, you get some quantity of money. But what you want to do when it's your turn is you also spend your money to say, oh, the American Bistro there is only $4 now. I'm going to buy that and I'm going to put it in one of my spaces. Or the French restaurant, I'm going to buy that and put it in. And So then once you get it in for the rest of the game, when that number gets rolled, you trigger the the stall's rest stall's power and each one has a different thing so like the americans i think we're all if you have the most american food you're gonna get a bunch of money or the french was all if you have the most french you're gonna get point victory points but there was also just different ways of getting points or money those were the two main resources and then it also had a tile laying aspect that most of the restaurants had their squares, some quantity of their borders are going to have half stars. So then if you can complete the star by having, it has a half star, the neighbor has a half star. When that number comes up, you get a victory point for that. So it was a fun little game. I liked the demo. The only problem I had with it, and I'm not sure if this is because it was a demo, and so we only played two rounds, or just an inherent flaw in it, but it definitely had the problem that basically at the end of the demo most of the rest of us had like three to five points and one guy had like 15 because he had on his first turn bought a building and put it in a spot and then that number got rolled repeatedly so uh, otherwise it was fun nice light game the other one i'm going to talk about this was a ticketed full demo called for a game called Nino Kuni 2, the board game. So this is one this is based on a video game property. It's a very cutesy anime game where you have little animal well not animal companions, but kind of like animal companions, but they're more they're elemental, they're little cute little things that, that follow you around in the game. So a big chunk of the video game that they translated to the board game is that you're trying to go around, build up your your kingdom. You're starting a new kingdom. You're trying to build it up. So a large part of the game is you're off doing quests that will give you resources. You can then spend those resources to build buildings or upgrade buildings in your kingdom. It's a cooperative game. At the end of five rounds, the buildings that you've built are going to give you influence. You're trying to get more influence than the bad guy that has been picked to play against you. Also, there are enemies that when you try to do a quest, there'll be an enemy blocking it. So you have to defeat the enemy by rolling dice before you can complete the quest. So this was the, the demo. So... One of the things is you can switch out the villains to change the difficulty, but this was the demo difficulty. So at that level, it was a very light, easy to do game. And so because of that, and because we're at Gen Con and several of us who are playing, it's a co-op game and we know what we're doing. We fairly well trounced the demo. I think it was something like we only needed about 
15 influence at the end of the game, and we had closer to 30, so... That said, I enjoyed it enough, and I like the theme enough that I might pick it up and see if some of the other villains that come in it that are supposed to be more difficult will give a proper challenge. Uh, so that was Nino Kuni 2, the board game. And those were the main ones that I demoed separately. I will switch it back to Chris, but I will later be talking about I went to the AG Big Game Night and played a few more games there. Well, while we're in the the mood to lump games by the publisher, uh, why don't I go ahead now and throw this to my chat from the Cosmos booth. All right, it is the final day Sunday here at Gen Con 2019. I'm in the Cosmos booth with Tom Wetzel, and you have, I would say, uh, your fair share of the uh, the swarming crowd of people who are still here on the uh, the final day of Gen Con. We're very excited about that. Yeah, we have been busy this whole time, including today, and uh, unfortunately we're starting to run out of some product, but we're somehow still selling. <laughs> okay, uh, so now I, I know you have other things here, but I wanted to take the chance to ask you about the adventure games, which are not for sale yet, but I, I think are coming out later this year. They're coming out mid-September, so actually pretty soon. I'm, I'm super excited about these because I actually got to do the playtesting for them, so I know how they work, and I'm excited to finally be able to talk to people about them. Okay, well, we are excited to hear about it. So there's two of them. The Adventure Games Discover the Story. That's the, that's the tagline. How do they work? Yes. So Adventure Games are in the same family as the Exit the Game, in that Exit the Game is heavy on riddles but light on story. Adventure games are heavy on story and a little bit lighter on the riddles. And by that, you'll, you can't see this uh, through audio, but you have up to four characters that players get to choose from. And when they choose a character, they're then going to use them to discover and uh, look into the, the different rooms or caves, in, in the case of the dungeon, and trying to like uh, figure out what's going on. Uh, in the case of the Monochrome Inc., you know that there's something evil happening, so you break into the evil corporation and you're trying to like figure out kind of like a Stranger Things almost like idea. Whereas in the uh, dungeon, you just wake up in the dungeon. You don't know why you're there, so you have to like find out what's happening there too. Wait a minute, I've I've played that game before. I think I played that in in middle school. Dungeons and Dr- Escape from Xander's Dungeon. No, what? I, they're not role-playing games, uh, but I, having played these, I felt a, like a desire to kind of get into character because the stories are so strong and they're so much fun that like even I, who not a total role player, was really interested in like my character and how they were going to. And they also like can change. Like uh, if you're if you're like say you're the hacker, right? You're going to be able to interact with the computer better than someone else but maybe you're not really good at climbing walls <laughs> scaling walls but also as you're going around you might set off an alarm which gives you a disadvantage later on in the game so you as a character actually evolve and change and that's i, I like that it's really cool okay so for an exit game there's usually an expected hour i was playing because we all beat them in an hour right no one ever goes over right, right. no i've right. never never i've never gone over are these in that sort of timed environment or how long are these do we get to play these for 
You can play these as long as you want. There's no time. There's no penalties. You get to discover everything in the story. Really get into it. Look at every nook and cranny. They come with three chapters each. And it took me over two hours to finish each chapter. So for me, it was six hours of playtime at least. Some people might be able to do it faster. But I think that you're looking at quite a bit of playtime for $19.95, which is a great price. It is. Now, that's something you don't have for sale yet here in the booth, but you have uh, some other things. Next to Adventure Games is Roll for Adventure, which does not seem to share much in common with these, though. But this, am I right that this is pretty much brand new for the show? It is also brand new for the show. That came out August 1st, and it should be available in local stores August 1st as well. So you can pick that up right now. Roll for Adventure is a cooperative dice-chucking game. It's a lot of fun, but there's a little bit of strategy. So it's not a party game, but it's not so strategic that you couldn't play it with your friends just kind of hanging out and having a good time. Um, really, really liking that game. It's, it's demoing very well. We're selling a lot of copies. We're very happy with it. Okay. What else exciting and new do you have in the booth this year? <laughs> uh, Tribes Dawn of Humanity is our third of the titles that we released at Gen Con, and that's a sit-building game that plays in under an hour. That is resonating with a lot of people because civ building games usually take three to five hours and they're great games but not everyone has that much time or the attention span for it this one's great because you get you down playing and it's just fantastic very accessible so you said there were three games that came out of gen con and i but no but you mentioned earlier that you started selling out uh, so what was the one that i you can't show me here because someone bought all of them yes imhotep the duel also came out August 1st, also available in stores. That one was a little bit more highly anticipated because Imhotep, the brand, is already very like well-established and people already like that game. So when we announced the duel, people were looking forward to that. And it is a great game. It really gives you the same kind of feel as Imhotep, the base game, but it plays quicker. And I think it's a little bit less aggressive because the base game, if you play with two players, it feels a little bit cutthroat, at least to me. Whereas this one, because it plays quicker and because the decisions are just a little bit different, it feels a little bit lighter. I like it a lot. I do have to say, I, I, the game industry really seems to have glommed onto the notion of branding as being a really good way to build anticipation for games over the last few years. <laughs> yes, and I think that Imhotep did a great job with it because it does fit in the same family, but it is not the same game. The mechanics are different, although it gives you some of the same feelings of like building the ancient monuments in Egypt. The way you do it is totally different. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for talking to us, Tom. I know that everyone is uh, exhausted. Uh, not, not as exhausted as you're going to be at like 2.30, but, but right. it's, uh, I know we're getting there. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So I'm sure you'll be hearing more from us about some of those in the future, but another publisher lumping I, I wanted to talk about was Haba. Now, at Gen Con, I had the chance to play a couple of not-yet-released Haba games. And now, note that these ones are are not the yellow box kid ga- kids games. I mean, so they're designed to be family games, but these are more complicated ones than the, the yellow box. The first one is called Miyabi. Thematically, it's Something about Japanese garden, like whatever. It's a tile laying game. It's a, it's a tile drafting and laying game, and you you start with a you you start with this empty six by six grid, 
and you're drafting tiles onto it. You know, like there's there are tiles that are just, hey, here's one thing. There are tiles that are like five things long in different shapes. And the trick to it is that one, you like you can only score each column once. Each row represents a different garden feature. So as you're drafting in a given round, or I guess you can only score a column once per round. So as you're drafting in a given round, you have to kind of figure out what it is that you have available to draft in a way that you can place on your board and score the appropriate things. But also, you have to be thinking ahead to future rounds because the score that you get for a particular for placing a particular tile is multiplied by how high in your tile stack it is. So you can get, you know, increasing rewards if you can keep stacking tiles on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. Not that you can just throw everything in the same place, because again, right, you can only score each column once, once per round. And then you also have to think about what you do or don't want to cover up as you're building up, because there's an area majority, not a majority, there's a I guess technically it's who has the plurality of a given feature at the end of the game. And so it it was one of those games where, uh, again, not usually what you think when you think of how, but if you really wanted to, you could wildly overthink the thing, which would probably actually make you have less fun. But I, I managed to refrain from doing that somehow. I know that's a problem sometimes for me and have a fun time playing that, uh, which was Miyabi. The other unreleased game that I had the chance to play was called Club Cats, or at least that's what the English translation of it was. You know, it was like Klubenkatzen or something like that, because it was in German. And this was a deduction game where everyone is a cat at a masquerade ball, and you're trying to figure out who the other cats are. by you Like, you play down a card, and then everybody has to reveal whether or not they, as a cat, match one or more of the features on that card. So, like, you just put one of your masks, your little mask tokens on the card to indicate that you are, you have some feature on there. But, of course, you don't reveal which one. Players have to figure that out by determining who has played what and who has put their masks on on what. And then you can try to guess features of other players and write if you you guess correctly hey they have to reveal that you get one of their masks if they guess if you guess incorrectly you have to give them one of yours that that was fun to play also i really was feeling left out of the whole cat theme from jay's uh pre-gen con interest list so it is good to get in on yeah on the other hand i did pick up one of the games that i mentioned in advance which was unicorn glitter luck cloud castle and I picked this up. This is one of the little kid games. And I picked this up because I have a little kid who would like it and who did like it as a, a little kid. And it is it is a stacking game. You have a unicorn who is going around in a circle of little markers. And then you have to stack. You have a little castle in the center. And you have to stack clouds on it. And you have to stack the other multicolored unicorns on it while you're trying to... You basically are trying to get enough crystals... And you do the stacking essentially as a way to possibly lose from a mechanical perspective, because every time if you if something falls when you stack, then there's a you have to flip over one of the little tiles you're going around the circle, and if it's a thunderstorm, oh then you know that's bad. And if there's and if three thunderstorms come up, then you you actually lose. It is a cooperative game. 
So the child liked it, which I guess is what's important, but I was actually a little disappointed because it had a weird end game where you could be in this position where you've collected all of one thing or or every single thing, in fact, that is not a crystal, and there really isn't a game left. It's just like, okay, so rather than play for another 10 minutes, let's assume that every single one of our remaining rolls gets us a power crystal, and then once we've done that, the youngest player will have to put the final piece on, which is the unicorn mover that you've been moving around, and hopefully not knock everything down. It was just a bit odd. Like, it was just odd the way the game was able to kind of weirdly end like that. I don't know. And maybe I'm just overthinking it. Certainly, I I would not be surprised at this if it was like some mass market kids game. But, I mean, Haba, although they make kids games, they're like a real gaming company. So it was just a little odd. But that was, that was, uh, so Miyabi and Club Cats are coming later, family uh, level games from Haba. And then uh, Unicorn Glitterluck Cloud Castle was a, uh, is a new release, uh, also from Haba, but definitely in their aimed at small children line. Do you want to continue the company theme with Big Game Night, Jay? Sure. Though I, I did think while you're talking of another super quick game that I, I enjoyed that I want to mention. Uh, this is a game called Are You a Robot? Which is the smallest social deduction I've, game I've ever seen. You know, usually when I say social deduction, you're talking like, get 8 to 10 of your friends, or if you're at a con, we're talking werewolf, get 30 random people to play with you. This is a social deduction for two to three people. It's by Looney Labs. That gives you an idea of what we're talking about. Basically, it's three cards. One of them says you're a robot. Two of them say you're human. You hand them out randomly, and you basically... The game ends when one of the humans points at one of the other players and says, I think you are the robot, and kills them. And at that point, if they correctly killed the robot, the humans win. And if they killed the other human, the robot wins. So, fun little quick social deduction game. But yeah, big game night. This is AEG. AEG has done this for years and years. I've lost track. This is the first time I've actually managed to get tickets. Usually the tickets sell out super quick. But it's it's fun. It's, I want to say like 800 people go to this. And it's a chance to play some of their new board games. So specifically, the first game they played is Tiny Towns, which I had not played before. Tiny Towns is one, you have a player board which has spaces on it. And there's a mechanic, and to my understanding, the retail game has a couple different ways to accomplish that. But generally speaking, there's a mechanic whereby you get resources, which are colored cubes, and you then choose which space on your board to put it. And once something is on your board, you can't move it. In the middle, there are cards that show you the different buildings you can build. And so after you put a resource, if... You have the correct color resources in the correct orientation. You can turn all of them in and build a building in one of the spaces that a resource was sitting in. And then you just go until everybody's filled up their boards, at which point each of the buildings has its own scoring system, and you count tally up points and figure out who won. 
And so what was interesting with this, again, there's 800 people here. For the first hour of board game night, everyone's playing this game. And the way that they did the everybody gets resources is instead of each four-player set doing it for themselves, there's somebody off at the, the headquarters that is picking which resources next. I, I think I heard they had a deck. I don't know the specific details, but they pick one resource and then they have big placards around the room and they say, okay, everybody gets brick this round or everybody gets stone this round or everybody can pick which one they want this round. And so it was amazing. You're effectively playing the same game with 800 people and so it'd be like, oh, it's brick again. Boo, everyone's booing. Or I think it was glass. It took forever for the first glass to show up. So when it did, everyone's applauding because finally there's glass and you can start building buildings that have glass in them. So yeah, that was, that was a fun, fun start to the evening. The next game, after that, they split it up into three sections, depending on which... There were three other games to play, depending on which game you wanted to play next. The next one I played is a game called Point Salad. I think I mentioned this in my lead-up. I do quite enjoy this game. I'm glad I got to take home a copy. Basically, the way it works, you've got a deck of cards. On the face of the cards is one of, I think it was six different vegetables, tomatoes, lettuce, carrots, what have you. On the back of the card is a different way to score points. It could be things like if you have a set of these specific three, you get eight points. Or it could be your tomatoes are worth two points and your cabbage is worth two points, but your carrots are worth minus two points. Or something like, hey, if you have the most carrots, you get ten points. And so then you shuffle all of the cards together. You make three stacks face down. From each of the stacks, you deal two face-up cards. And then you go around, and on your turn, you can either take two face-up cards and keep them face-up, or you can take one of the face-down scoring cards and put it face-down in front of you. And at any point, you can turn a face-down card face-up, but not vice versa. And so you just go around and around until all of the the deck is completely exhausted, at which point you have all your cards that tell you how you score. And so you tally up your score and see who has the most points. So, I mean, it's basically what I said. It's point salad. You've got everybody has their own different way of scoring. You've probably at the end of the game got between three and six different scorecards that you need to do the math on. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. It was fun. The next one I played is a game called Curios. Uh, this is a sort of a logic bluffing type game. At the start of the game, you're adventurers exploring different ruins. Like there's a wrecked ship that you're exploring or the pyramids or what have you. And so each of those locations has a card and has a set of gems. They also have point cards. So at the start of the game, each, each location has four point cards, one, three, five, and seven. You shuffle those up and you stick one under it. And that tells you at the end of the game, how many points that location is worth. So you don't know, 
Maybe this game the pyramids are worth 7 points, or maybe they're only worth 1 point. To help you figure that out, you then once you put one card under each to tell you how many points it's worth, you then combine all of those decks, shuffle them all up, and distribute them to the different players. And so each player has a limited amount of information about the potential values of any of these four locations you're going to. And so then the gameplay goes, you've got pawns in front of you. The first person to go to a given location only has to send one pawn and they get a gem. The next person at that location has to send two pawns to get a gem and then three and four. And then so you just go around and around sending your pawns to collect gems until two of the four locations have had all of their gems exhausted. At which point you flip up and find out how much each gem is actually worth and then you score. So you've got an interesting mix of logic and some amount of bluffing and partial and hidden information going. So I enjoyed that. That was a nice brain teaser for to bring in an End the Con Night on. And then the fourth game, at that point, I didn't actually get to play, though I've got the copy and will probably give it a try at some point, is called Walking in Burano, which is a tile-laying game based around a city in, I think, Spain or Italy. Um, so yeah, that, that one, I was getting tired. My head was hurting after all of this point scoring, so call, we called it a night at that point. Uh, so I will, at this point, pass it back to you to talk about more board games. Uh, assuming it's the only Burano I know, it is, uh, uh, it's a Venetian island. Oh, so okay. Italy. Some, somewhere in Europe that I'm not cultured enough to have ever actually been to. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't yeah. say I had been there. <laughs> okay, I'm not even cultured enough to have heard of, so. <laughs> Alright, so some other games that I got to play... One was Era Medieval Age, and this is the one I, I it was right of it's right. It's like it was a, like you were doing a roll and write game, but you get to build your city out instead of writing it down on a pad. It's sort of a spiritual successor as well to Roll Through the Ages, and so this in traditional roll and write fashion, you have the let's call it the uh, Yahtzee mechanic of right. You have a certain number of dice and you roll them, and you get up to three rolls, but you have to decide what to to keep. And the dice rolls will generate the various resources that you need for your city, stone or wood or food. You can starve in this. You do have to feed your people. Uh, <laughs> every die is a is a thing you have to is a person you have to feed. Uh, so some buildings you get more dice, some buildings you don't. And then you also have a die that can generate defense or attack, or and some of the dice can generate skulls, which maybe a disaster that happens to you or it may be a disaster that happens to everyone else depending on how many skulls exactly you end up with but on the board you have this uh you have this plastic pegboard and you have plastic buildings that you're putting on and each of the buildings has a different shape and you have to figure out how they're going to fit in there because you can you can build a wall and if you have the walled central part of your city at the end of the game anything in there gets doubled but if you cram things too much together then all of, if you don't have a hospital around, then the things that are crammed together and touching can get disease. Uh, and so all of the things that are negative, most of these things that are negative end up being negative victory points at the end of the game. Although you do have the ability to 
uh, force your opponents to put what are called scorched earth tiles on their board, which take up like a two by two pegboard chunk with a you can't build anything here. So uh, you want to avoid that. You know you'll you won't be able to make your your pretty pretty city uh, if you do that. But I I thought that era medieval age it, I thought it played really well. I think that there's a real fun factor to actually getting to build the buildings out on your city. I mean, I think it helped to have the sort of custom table size playmat that they have there to have all the spaces for the different kinds of buildings because it made it much easier to see that something had run out. I mean, they the game does come with tokens with a, a like an X on them that you put in a spot in which you have to be able to keep track of because that's how the game ends. But that was nice. I think the really the only downside I had to the game was that I wish the like those pegboards they have on them right there's one place where you track your wood and one place where you track your your food and it's not like you're ever really going to be confused because the pegs are different colors but the the board itself has you know etchings in it in the like oh here's the shape of a of a rock or here's the shape of a uh, you know, of a thing of wheat, and then you've got another one where it's like the tracker. The, whoever the first player is, they they move a separate colored peg down a tracker to keep track of where in the turn it was. Uh, and again, you you can tell what it all is because the pegs are the right color, but the pegboards themselves, like you really couldn't actually see those. They didn't stand out like they're they're still a solid one single color, and it just didn't stand out enough to read it, which is I guess was a bit odd since. The components are otherwise a real draw for this game, but I—I I mean that's a, a relatively minor thing. I—I—I I, I feel like Era Medieval Age will be a a very successful game. I, Lord only knows, no one's hiring me to forecast the game industry, but it was one of those ones where I had fun, and I think it will be fun will be had by a lot of. Another one that I played and really liked was Homebrewers from greater than games this is one of those like oh i wish i had actually seen this when it was on kickstarter sort of thing not that i I don't think there's anything in it that you like there's nothing in the kickstarter that you like you can't get now but you get the whole like you get it right away and you get the expansion without paying for it that sort of thing homebrewers is man I, i really liked brew crafters and i really like homebrewers which are both about making beer even though i have no interest whatsoever in that topic it's kind of weird but homebrewers is a game where you as a character are you know some micro brewer who is brewing different beers in your garage every player like has their own little garage board so you have to get ingredients you need some money you have to literally you have to one of the things you have to do is clean out your flasks because if you if you ignore that aspect then your beer is worth less and less the primary worth then like during the game is that you have these uh, essentially reputation tracks where you can make the different kinds of beer and as you go up the tracks you get rewards off of that and then a couple of times during the game there's a, a you know a competition that you enter into there's Summerfest and then Oktoberfest and so it matters where you are on that track for getting the rewards if you have the most highly regarded IPA or something like that then you know you can get the a bonus points for that i mean obviously uh, the track itself ultimately you know it comes down to victory points as as one does in a euro game uh who's got the most victory points but 
I thought that it it worked out really interesting. I liked the art from it. That was actually one of the things that drew me in the this is not a game that I had noticed before Gen Con. There's a reason why they have those big banners <laughs> with the art flying, and so that was I stopped and and played out a, a demo of that. So that was Homebrewers from from Greater Than Games. I think definitely worth checking out for the the Eurogamer folks out there. I also got the chance to take a look at a game called Planet Unknown. This is from Adam's Apple Games. This is a pre-production copy. This is one of those, it's going on Kickstarter either near the end of the year or at the beginning of next year. And it's, oh, let's call it Space Tetris. Hmm. Every player has their own planet, which you are loosely, one might say, terraforming, but... Right, this is not none of this like terraforming Mars terraforming where everything is slow and scientifically accurate and stuff, right? Your space delivery company just slaps down a tract of terrain on your board. So there is a there's gonna be a like a lazy Susan style thing in the middle of the game in the middle of the the game and the or in the middle of the table. And whoever's turn it is picks which slice they want. And each slice has two different stacks of tiles on it of two different shapes and that player they're going to figure out exactly which piece that's on the lazy susan they want turn it to that and take it and then everyone else at the same time has to choose one of the pieces that's on the tops of the stack on whichever slice of the lazy susan is pointing at them and as you put out the different tiles they're going to have different terrains which is then going to I feel like I'm repeating myself here, move you up tracks. <laughs> and as you move up the tracks, you get different rewards. So th- this one, though, what you're you're trying to do, like I said, Space Tetris, is the, at the end of the game, the primary source of victory points is whether or not you have managed to completely fill up rows and columns. And to do that, you obviously need to get the the shapes of the pieces right but also some of the pieces when you place them they have meteor strikes on them which counts as it not being filled in unless you can get a little rover over there to clean it up or there's a life pod there and you can get a you you can just squish the life pod but you can get a victory point if you can get a rover over to pick up the the life pod so one of the tracks is moving your rovers around on the board and then you are probably going to have some spots where you have little holes in what you've been able to lay out. So another one of the tracks gives you the ability to every so often fill in an individual one-tile spot. I mean, that was pretty distinctive to me. I, I especially like the whole Lazy Susan thing in the middle. Uh, that's a, I don't know, is that just like a, an extreme variant on action selection, maybe? I mean, I like the sound of it. That sounds cool, yeah. I'm sitting there like, I really like Zulkin too. Maybe I just really like tracks and... What else? Terra Mystica, like little, maybe, maybe I just like doing things on a board that then move me up the track that gives me more rewards. I don't know. I had fun playing it, and that was Planet Unknown from Adam's Apple Games. So, another thing that I got to look at, but not play for reasons that will become apparent in a standalone sort of way, was the Wonders and Leaders expansion for Through the Ages. And of course, you can't really play that because a game of through the ages is really long and not the sort of thing you're going to do in a in a demo format at gen con but as you might guess from the name the wonders and leaders expansion for through the ages adds more wonders and leaders to the game now 
if you've played through the ages before, you know it is one of these games that is like super honed and balanced what's in the deck that that generates things out. So you can just play with all the new stuff or you can kind of mix and match the new stuff, but you actually cannot change the number of cards in the deck or else it would throw things off. So you can swap them in however you want or you actually have the ability, if you so choose, you can just put in your deck dummy cards like Ancient Wonder 1, Ancient Wonder 2, Ancient Wonder 3, and that way you never have to change what's in your deck, but you can have like the wonders set aside, and they have a little board for this. At the start of the game, you can set out on the board what Ancient Wonder 1, what Ancient Wonder 2, what Ancient Wonder 3 are, and so on, and, and you know, to the modern age, and that way, just when like number 1 comes up, you can pull that out, and then at the end of the game, you just stick all the individual wonder cards off to the side, uh, and you know, again, you know, uh, very, very finely honed. But the other thing that they have in this is there are updates. As much as, like, through the ages, a new story of civilization was a honing of the original through the ages, which was itself already a, a great game, what they are able to do here is update, in addition to brand new things, there are updates to a number of the cards in in the base game and the reason why they're able to do that is really interesting it's because of the app so this expansion actually will hit in september i think on the app and then not for probably like at essen for the actual physical game but and i usually think of this sort of thing in terms of like hearthstone where the fact that players are constantly generating all this data by playing the game lets you really find out a lot about what's really good and what's not as good. And of course, in Hearthstone, you have the ability to just like poof and change everybody's cards, which you don't have with a physical game. But right there's a successful Through the Ages app, and it generates a lot of data from people playing online. So they actually have the ability to go into the game and see things like what cards do people really like to take, and then what sort of correlation is there between what cards people are taking and then how often they win the game. So you can differentiate between when a card is popular but not effective versus when a card is actually effective at helping you win the game. And then because they can also see whatever their equivalent is of the ELO ratings of all the players, you can actually even then differentiate between like, oh, this these players are really good. They know this card is good, so they take it a lot, versus this card helps people win regardless of whether or not they're good players. So you can like actually try to really get into whether or not it's the card that's good, or just like the card's okay, but it's a little bit better, but the good players know that, so they take it preemptively. It's like I imagine that like if you think about like Fantasy Flight LCGs or something, they would just die. They, or maybe that's their maybe kill. I don't know. One way or the other, to get that sort of information on on figuring out uh, what exactly is going on in the environment. I, I don't know. So you have all of this stuff that they are now able to use to when they release the expansion for Through the Ages, have tweaked versions of the cards to you know power this one up a little bit, power that one down a little bit. It's this sort of thing. Like if you like and play Through the Ages, that really seems just like a must buy of an expansion. Uh, and so that is, I don't know, there's wonders and leaders for through the ages. Like I said, the, the app update 
hits sometime in September. I my guess is that the physical one will first show up at Essenspiel in October. And uh, why, don't, why don't we? Like, why don't I let you take a turn, Jay? Okay. Uh, so I'm pretty much out of board games that are interesting to talk about. I do want to mention. <laughs> so we're going to talk about board games that are boring to talk about. Well, no, Go. no, we're going to talk about not board games. I do want to mention one of the things that I I like to do, and I did this year. For people who have been to Gen Con, you may have seen wandering around the convention center. There are placards. If you got the program, if you actually managed to get a copy of the program booklet, because half the time those stalls are empty, but if you got a copy and you flipped through it, maybe somewhere in the middle you saw a similar design to those placards, there are puzzles. I believe there were 10 different puzzle placards, plus the 13th in the book. And these are just different. I like puzzles. If you like puzzles, you'll probably like these. They're different. They're different flavors of puzzles that you can solve. And then if you solve enough of them, you can go. They had a a booth right outside the exhibitor hall on the way to Lucas Oil Stadium. You could go and you could turn in your answers and you are entered into a raffle for tickets to next year. I don't think my two entries will actually win anything, but probably would have heard at this point, but it was fun to do the puzzles. They also had uh, a ticketed, you could get a whole separate puzzle pack. I got that. I did a couple on the plane. I will at some point get around to finishing those, but there's so much to do at Gen Con that who has the time to actually do them. <laughs> but yeah, the they, they had a bunch of puzzles on placards throughout the convention center. Fun little... Easter eggy game you could you could find and do and have fun with. Well, I do in fact have some more uh, interesting uh, demo things. I I make some comment about keeping it shorter, but yeah, right. No, yeah. So <laughs> I got the chance to play Draftosaurus, which I mean is just a cool name for a game. Yes. Honestly, yes, it is. In Draftosaurus, right? It's your Making your own, you know, dinosaur theme park. Not not the extravagant dinosaur theme park you might make in Dinosaur Island, but your own little small dinosaur theme park slash zoo, maybe. I don't know. And as you're drafting, what you're doing is you have a handful of dino meeples, and you then uh, are picking one of those meeples to take in a given round, and then one player will roll a die, which will tell you what the conditions are for placing that meeple. So maybe it has to go on the left side of the board or the right side of the board, or it has to go somewhere there isn't a T-Rex or or whatever. And so now you have to figure out where on your board is most advantageous to pick, to put the meeple that, that you picked. And so you have one section that scores for having lots of the same. You have one section that scores if it contains a dinosaur, and that's the only place on your board that it has the dinosaur. There's one where you want pairs of mated dinosaurs, I guess. Uh, that sort of thing. So it's a, I mean, it's a very fast, very straightforward game. The Dino Meeples are cute. I like drafting. I think it played very well. I mean, it's a relatively inexpensive game. So I, I think that one is is delightful. If that combination of mechanics and themes stands out for you, that was Draftosaurus. I got to play Mystery House from Cranio Creations. This is. Uh, one of those games that is a, you know, yet another variation on the puzzling escape room sort of context. Uh, and what this one does differently is that it uses this sort of box as a tool. 
so you have this little structure that's you know basically the size of the inside of the box and you for a given mystery you slot cards into it in certain places so like the one that we did was you were trying to stop a bank robbery and so you start out and all you can see as you're looking in through the sides is these little cards depicting the outside of the bank and then you have an app and so you would go into the app and you'd say something like oh we're looking at card m7 and we want to examine the plant that's there or the bag that was left on the stairs or whatever it is you can't just like randomly guess things because it'll ding your time every time you enter in something that doesn't exist that sort of thing but you right you'll look at something and maybe the app will tell you there's something interesting maybe it'll tell you get an item out of a deck and then later you can use the item at a what you can select the location and use the item there but it will have you as you open doors and otherwise interact with the environment it'll have you pull cards out of the little box display so then you can see further in and you can kind of like try to like you're trying to shift it around to see can you see around a corner and like oh there's a there's a lockbox over there. Can we figure out how to get into that? And it was definitely a fun uh, and interesting take on the you know, sort of escape room genre that I like. This one also, that right, this was a, a demo of a game that is not out yet. I'm guessing that's a sometime in 2020 release for the U.S. Worth checking out if you like the escape room games when it does, and that's Mystery House from Cranio Creations. I also hit uh, a couple of things that are out or coming out from Renegade. I did get to sit down and play Bargain Quest for a little bit. This is one where if you like it, you have all sorts of options because it was funded through a, a Kickstarter for the second edition, so there's a whole plethora of little mini expansions, although the they did sell out of the actual base game at Gen Con. And in Bargain Quest, you are a shop owner. You're selling stuff to heroes. You're trying to make money. The heroes are trying to go off and kill monsters, although it is Ultimately, you lose as a you can lose as a group if all of the heroes die without having defeated the monsters. Then they come and ravage your town and destroy your shop and all that. So there's a a limit to the the competition. But I'm not sure. I don't having done a demo. I don't know how much that comes up. But every round you have a group of heroes who are out there who are you know going to want to go shopping. You draft some cards and then you pick one of them to put in your display. And that is used to catch the eye of the hero and draw them in. So you want to have something that's fancy, that they'll like, but it also can appeal to different kinds of heroes, like put out the holy mace. That may be, you know, catnip for a cleric, but if all of the heroes that are out there are wizards and rogues, eh, it's not really going to appeal very much. On the other hand, you can't actually sell whatever it is that you put in your display. Right? It's the display copy only, apparently. You can't sell it to them. So right? You have to balance something that is going to be attractive to a particular hero, knowing that you can't actually equip the hero with that. And then you, you want to really well equip that hero because that you're charging them, right? You're, you're, you're selling all that stuff to them. But then you want them to go out, defeat the monster, collect more money for having defeated the monster, and then come back to your shop in later rounds. I thought that was fun. I don't know how much it evolves over the course of the game, because the demo did not last for ages, but... That is Bargain Quest from Renegade. Another upcoming one from them is called Gates of Delirium. And there's a Cthulhu sort of theme on this, but it's not a well-entrenched theme, shall we we say. But you are 
on a given rounds, you go back and forth between everyone is like sane and trying to help solve things and rounds where everyone is insane and trying to, you know, cause the end of the world and all that. And what that matters for mechanically is that each of the cards that you have in your hand is double-sided. Like you can flip, it can flip upside down. You can play certain kinds of actions on sane rounds and you can play certain kind of actions on insane rounds. And so you have to decide like when you're playing the card now it's not just what it does now but do you need to save it to use somewhere else and so you're scoring points ultimately for the insane stuff mostly it feels like you're more scoring them on the insane side i'm not sure if that's actually the case uh, i don't know the the ins and outs of enough but like on the sane side you're scoring points for playing your cards as say map pieces or pages in a journal that you're you know trying to figure out what's going on and on the insane side, you're scoring points for summoning great old ones and such, but then also having the majority in the place where the being is summoned by you or someone else. So on the sane side, you send out investigators to look into things, and then on the insane side, you get them killed, you know, consumed by the uh, encroaching old ones. There was definitely a lot going on. Like I said, the theme's kind of like, eh. I'm not sure what thematically that is, that like everyone's switching back and forth, sane and insane. So, but the part that I liked was really just the interplay between having one set of actions to try to set things up and then another set of actions to try to knock them down to get the points as the, the great old ones come out. And that's uh, Gates of Delirium, and it's coming out uh, later this year from Renegade. Back to you, Jay. Okay, so... The last thing I've got to talk about, it's a little stretch to call it a card game, but Saturday night I went to the Cards Against Humanity live show, and what this was is it was a improv sketch show, so there was a panel of MCs going, they would read off a black card, if, if you've not played Cards Against Humanities, Cards Against Humanities, there are black cards and white cards, the black cards have a setup, the white cards have a phrase of some sort. So the judge would read off a a black card that would give the setup. The different improv teams would each pick a white card. They would read off their selection. The judges would pick one to be the winner. And then all of the improv teams would collectively do improv based on that white card that got picked. Uh, they did this for um, like an hour, hour and a half. It was it was a fun comedy show, so not quite a card game, but it's sort of watching a very professionals do a very enact version of Cards Against Humanity. I know how you feel about Cards Against Humanity, but I thought it was fun. So yeah, that was that was my Saturday evening activity was watching an improv show based around Cards Against Humanity. My mama always said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So. And and yet we keep talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I shall not comment on Cards Against Humanity today. Fair enough. One thing I do like is Time Stories. And they've, with the Madame expansion, I believe, wrapped up the sort of arc of the original launch of Time Stories. I think nine total missions in that one and so now we have the those are like the white box missions and we have the blue box missions i think it's time stories 
revolution. And uh, I got to sit down and play. I mean, this is, again, this is this is one of those things that's not for sale. Demo, demo in the booth, but it's uh, not out yet. You have to wait till later. But it's the like, okay, let's see what have they done to revamp and update Time Stories because I really liked Time Stories. So if you have not played Time Stories before, it is a a story driven game where you still have like action efficiency still plays a a big role but you would one of the conceits was that like your time agents being put into bodies at different scenarios and you know you kind of like go through the first time almost certainly not be able to solve whatever it is and then it would like reset back to the beginning and you would have to to go through that a few times to try to figure out what was going on and stop the bad thing and fix history and and all that so in that probably the most significant thing about the reboot is I, I at least you know as I was playing is it seems like you no longer have the like doing it again. You are still rewarded for being efficient and trying to like get a better rating, but it does not reset the game and have you like try to go down different paths and and see is it physically possible like if we already knew what was going on in advance to like play this in one scenario. You instead have like a certain number of crystals that you like. When you go to a location, you you just go there. You put a crystal on the little card that represents that. You lay out the locations, and then you use your crystals to try to help succeed at different sorts of tasks. And then if everybody's out of crystals, you put one over on the oops, we need a, a reload boss board. You get all the crystals, almost all the crystals you spent back. Uh, you don't get quite all of them, so if like you keep doing it, there's a diminishing returns. But ultimately, however many crystals you put over there, the more you had to put over there, the the worse your score is going to be. In the one that we had, it was which is not, I think it was a scenario that is not intended to be released. It was a little shorter one, so it's not like what you'd get. It's not the exact scenario that's in the base box. Like right, we were in like 50s America, like trying to to find a lost kid. That's what, what we were doing. So we had to do things like like you'd go over down down Maid Street and see what was going on, try to find out that they that they disappeared, where they had been. Each of the characters that you represent actually in in addition to just having like some mechanical things to them, they actually have a little side story that you had to do. So we were all the kids and one of the people's like their little side thing, which you know, other people don't know about during the game was find your dad safe and sound or something like that and so when we found her dad he was like kind of going crazy in a cell at the police station so you know in the 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 full version of thing you'd have to try to figure out what had happened with them and then get the police to let him go before you could get the we did as well as we possibly could sort of scenario there were definitely adjustments i i still liked it i i suspect that people will on balance, prefer just the like we do this once through instead of like the the semi reset right? again, which is almost necessary in the old time stories because you were not going to like play something for the first time and actually be able to get it done in one. So, time stories revolution, I think coming later this this year. I popped by the Cryptozoic game in addition to the normal DC deck building stuff, which will talk about in more detail in a, a later one i played a challenge of the super friends this was a i i think they've they've used this mechanic to make some other games uh, like they may i think they made a rick and morty one 
But I don't, you know, that's, oh, that's like a cutesy different variation on the DC theme. Oh, maybe I could play this with the, the kids or something. I, you know, put out a number of prize cards equal to the number of players. Everybody, you have a small hand of cards. For the most part, everyone has the same deck, but each hero has their own specialty cards in there. And so you kind of have to figure out what what the differential is between these prizes in this given round. Right, You may have a round where both cards are really good, so do you actually want to spend one of your better cards trying to win that, or are you just okay with losing because, eh, the weaker card's still pretty good to get. That makes it sound more strategic than it is, honestly, because it's there's still a lot of random in the interaction, There's a lot of, or there's chaos in the interactions between what you and the other people are playing. Like, you, you know, you don't want to overthink it too much, it's just not that in your control. Plus... Some of the stronger cards will either make, like, I play a powerful effect, but then I have to do a challenge, or somebody else does. And so, you know, every time you go into one of those challenges, you have no idea, if like, what it's going to make you do. And that is then, in, you know, in the randomness, it may be that you lose the thing that you were going to get anyway, or it may be, a, you know, you made it with some sort of positive thing, like, oh, I lose one of the things I already scored. Hey, I have one that was negative. Oh, darn, I can lose the negative one. That was fun, but not spectacular. It's, it's the sort of thing I'd be like, hey, if somebody says, Joe, do you want to play this? And you want to like a lighthearted bit of fun? Sure, but not necessarily something I'd want to go and seek out. Let's see, I got to play a game called Thieves' Den. And in Thieves' Den, the big boss of the, the crime world has been jailed. Everyone is uh, scrambling to, I honestly don't remember if you're scrambling to be the new top dog or if you're scrambling to be the one who can get the old boss out of prison, whatever. You have a a central board with some locations to place workers on, as it were. But then each round you are drafting locations. And then so each round there's going to be a different array of actions that people can take. And those actions might be getting resources, turning resources into victory points. There are certain like achievement cards, as it were, on the side where you can try to Go like it's a one shot. This is the one time somebody's going to be able to take that. Go there, pay whatever, get victory points. And also, while you're drafting, you you have your own hidden targets for like wanting to have certain locations. It's got some elements the reminiscent of the the key, of key flower, where when you have a location, other people can assign to the locations that you put out. That's pretty good for you though, because you don't get to take that action, but you get some sort of reward usually for someone using your spot. And at the end of a round, the workers that you're going to have to start with next round are whatever people assigned to your locations this round. So there's another reason to want to get those assigned in to you. I got to play that a little bit. Uh, It was fun to play. I can't talk about, right, demo, so I can't talk about, you know, your end of game scoring exactly and how balanced different paths to victory are, but it presented a lot of different things to do, even just in the base game, and just an interesting interaction between drafting the cards and how to figure out what was right. Uh, That is Thieves' Den from uh, Daily Magic Games. I did want to mention two other things that are not, not things that I played, but first, since Upper Deck always does their booth up in some sort of interesting way to commemorate one of their games this this year it was like they released legendary 007 and their booth had james bond themes around it including being able to 
the main entrance to the booth, you could sort of like walk in through the gun barrel that always features in the opening sequences for that. I did not play Legendary 007 because I gotta say I like Legendary, but I'm I'm kind of at like in addition to all the Marvel Legendary stuff, like I've got like Firefly Legendary and X Files Legendary and Buffy Legendary, and so like at this point it kind of has to be a property I have a a really high level of interest in to get me excited about it. And I like James Bond, but not enough that I need a fifth Legendary game. But if you do, it's out there. <laughs> the other thing that uh, entertained me, possibly because I'm, amongst other things, a law nerd, is that Ultra Pro has a game called Dracaris Dice. And of course, I, I'm sure, like, what comes to your mind if I say Dracaris? Uh, one of the dragons from Game of Thrones. Sure. So I, I thought, like, oh, that's interesting. I guess their lawyers were very, were like, looked at that very carefully before they made a non-Game of thing, Thrones thing called Dracaris Dice. And it turns out it was kind of amusing because uh, it kind of went beyond that. Ultra Pro had actually already trademarked it. And so, like, HBO had had to come to them to be like, um, uh, is there a way we can get that from you? Or <laughs> Because that's what happens when you use a word like Dracaris that actually doesn't belong to you. Oops, yeah. Like HBO does? Yeah, like they didn't like go out and trademark every random catchphrase from the show. <laughs> I don't know that. Like I said, I'm a loner to that amuse me. So uh, those are my sort of like final notes about what I did personally. But was there anything while you were there, Jay, that, that st- stuck out to you as something that is going to be a hot thing later this year? or that people will be very excited and talking about still in February of 2020? Uh, I mean, probably, but I'm fairly oblivious, so I didn't notice what it was. <laughs> I guess I think Fantasy Flight's Marvel stuff is, I mean, like that's going to be a big deal. It does not take any kind of foreknowledge to figure that out. No, yeah. I do think era medieval age could have a lot of staying power on the heavier end of things like your more hardcore hobby gamer side black angel i think that that was pretty buzzy it's definitely on the heavier heavier end of the euro things i i think to some extent it's like twa in space but i i think more finicky and and heavier than that game other ones we didn't talk to black angel probably within the Within the serious hobby gaming community, we'll have, I think, a lot of pickup. And then uh, in the broader gaming world, I, I, I mean, like the Fantasy Flight, Marvel stuff. I'll also throw out there, I, I speculated that perhaps Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated would hit at PAX Unplugged. It will actually hit before that. I think you might be able to go, pre- I think you can go pre-order it now, give or take, Neat. for release well before PAX Unplugged. Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in here? Yeah, I had a lot of fun at Gen Con. Want to do it again, but yeah. So that was our Gen Con 2019 experiences. I had a blast at Gen Con. As always, it is, it's really always nice to, to come back to Indianapolis and come back to the convention center and sort of have this odd sense of familiarity about this place that you really get to like once a year right yeah thanks for listening to us about gen con and uh you can uh catch the exact same kind of discussion a year from now i strongly suspect we we... yeah probably (laughs) that sounds like us 
But, you know, continue listening in the meantime, too. We appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to or download episodes of this podcast there, but you can also do it on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Google Play Music Store. We should be in probably whatever your favorite podcatcher is, but if we are not, please let me know and I will address that situation. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. Always like to hear your comments, criticisms, feedback, and so forth. You can also find us on the usual social media. We are Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also find us at patreon.com slash strangeassembly. And we uh, greatly appreciate those of you who support us on an ongoing basis. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Now to go play some of the games I picked up at Gen Con before the giant tower of them collapses and traps me underneath the weight. That is always a, a risk, isn't it? Yeah. No, I, 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 unpacking my suitcase, I built up a tower and now I'm kind of intimidated by it. <laughs>